Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. All right, let's get started with a a topic today. We want to tackle another word for love. If, if, If ever there was a word that was loaded, it is the word love. We use it for everything. I love the dogs. I love the falcons. I love, I love that meal. We throw it around like it's nobody's business. But then there are times when, and maybe this has happened to you, where you've looked at somebody and you said, I love you, and it didn't come back. Anybody ever done that before? You, you said to somebody, I love you, and what you heard was, yeah, well, good for you, bud, you know? I remember it happening to me. It was in high school, and I really thought with puppy eyes that I was in love. So I looked, and I said, you know, I think I love you. And literally, the answer was, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 little, that little girlfriend-boy thing lasted about four days. I was like, yeah, that doesn't work. But you know, it hurts, doesn't it? When you, when you throw yourself out there, and you say, I love you, and you don't get anything back, it's like, come on, really? Just, I mean, just jump in there a little bit with me and you get nothing back. Love has been, it has been in so many titles of so many songs. I tried to Google how many songs have love in the title or are written about love. And even Google couldn't give me a number. But I started back and I started peeling back songs that I can remember every word to from some part of my past. And I remembered from 1987, White Snake. How many of you are with me? White Snake, 1987? Yeah, you bunch of heathens. And so here's what I remember that song being. It went like this. Is this love that I'm feeling? Is this the... So y'all weren't listening to Jesus music then either, were you? I know, I know. When that song comes on, you just got to crank it up a little more, don't you? I mean, like where the bass is rattling in the doors, and you're, I mean, you're singing as if you could sing. And at this point in life, you're singing like you have that dude's hair. Which last, last week, sweet little girl, Reagan, I was talking with her because she's given her life to Christ and she said, Pastor Chuck, I want to get baptized. So I, I was sitting over here and I was talking with Reagan and her mom took a picture. I, I was like bent down like this and the picture came from back here. And when I saw it on, uh, on Facebook, I thought, what a sweet moment. And then I looked and I thought, where's that garish big bald spot come from? I don't see that in the mirror. And then Jenny leaned over and she said, oh, yeah, it's getting bigger every week. (laughs) Which will ensure your ego does not. And so I I, I remember that song, but I remember another. And for you country fans, go back a few years with me and go to Gillies and remember Johnny Lee as he sang these words. Ready? Looking for love in all the wrong Looking for love. Okay, right then, it's like I don't remember him, right? Where's Johnny when I need him? I know he's on the mechanical bull. And so you think about all these songs, and you think about there's no way. I mean, people have tried it with uh, poetry. They've tried it with with, with painting. They've tried it with photography. They've tried with music. Everybody's tried to capture and picture what love feels like. I'm of a firm belief that we know when love feels good because most of us know how love feels when it's bad. 
But at times, I think we don't stop to appreciate love good because we're still wallowing in love that's bad. And I think at times we, we, we get there, and I think all of us have been there somewhere. I've been there. We have to stop and have this desire to say, well, what would be another name for love that I could plug in when love doesn't sound so lovely? What is it in, in, that is going on that, that could happen? I read the story of a young seminary student who was in his first year and he'd gone through the first semester. In the second semester, he, uh, he said to his professor, he said, I just want everybody to know, including you, I no longer believe in God. And, and, the, and the professor kind of unraveled and, you know, nothing really uh, went, went crazy about him. He looked at this young man and he said, well, describe for me this God that you no longer believe in. And so the young man pondered for a minute, and he looked at it, and he, he began to use things like, well, he's unlovely, and he's vengeful, and, and he, he's, he allows such destruction in the world, and why doesn't he do this? And he began to describe God in so many different negative connotations, and the professor just patiently let this guy through a diatribe just unload the clip on, on how and why he no longer believed in God. And the, the professor, when he was done, said, oh, buddy. I don't believe in that God either. My God is a God of love. I wonder how many times people see the love of God because they see him through our eyes or our actions. You know, the, the number one reason people don't come to church is because they've already been there before. Or the guy that works in the office next to them, or the, the woman who is their boss, or, or whatever the case is, we, we, we somehow we attach people and their actions to the face of God, and when we act unlovely, we take that unlovely perspective and we layer it on top of a God that is filled with love, and we, and we layer him with something that he can't even retain or hold on to. But what would happen if we were to fix and decide what would be a really healthy definition? Well, let's start with something that's true for all of our lives that happens all the time. One of my favorite authors is Dr. Henry Cloud, and he made this statement. He said, the opposite of good is bad. And then he said, but watch this. The opposite of bad isn't good. The opposite of bad is love. But see, that's true. We've had bad things done to us. We've, we've, we've put ourselves in jeopardy to receive bad things. And yet, in the midst of all that, God allows those seasons in our life. He gives us his free will to make those choices. But then, when we come running back to him, there has never been a time in humankind where God hasn't said, come on, my child, I forgive you. And he wraps his arms around us, and he welcomes us back into his home. Here's some great and awesome news. God is both good and great. I can recall as a little boy going to uh, church and going to Sunday school and mom would dress me up with a little clip-on tie and a little jacket, you know, and I mean, march in like a good soldier for, you know, for Sunday school. And inevitably, every week, the one song we all learned as kids that grew up in, you know, the church was this, Jesus loves me. Come on. Jesus loves me, this I know. Okay, so let me ask you something. How did you know White Snake and that? That's one of the great questions I want to ask the Lord someday. But you know, there's a, there's a mountain of good theology in that song. Jesus does love us. And yes, he is good to us. 
He is indeed a great and good father. The greatest news I can give you is he is good and he is great. But over in the 103rd Psalm, the psalmist gives us a definition. He gives us a description of God's love. Listen, in, starting in verse 8, the scripture says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Don't you love that? I have seasons in my life where I am not very compassionate, and I have times in my life where there is, I am the exact opposite of merciful. Have you ever been there? Some of you have been on the recip being a recipient of that in my case for which I'm so sorry, because it, God gives us a model here. He says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. What an unbelievable description. It goes on, it says, he will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And that word fear, we get hung up on a lot. It's like God has this, you know, hev heavenly, you know, cattle rod and he's poking us. But that word literally is that we would be in awe of him. That, that we are in awe of the holy creator of the universe. We are in awe of the one who has a plan for us to prosper. We are in awe of his goodness. We are in awe that he might still love us, and yet he knows all there is to know about us. And he goes on and says, his unfailing love toward those who fear him is great. Oh, my goodness. In verse 13, it says, the Lord is like a father. In verse 14, it says, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and we die. The wind blows and we are grown as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him, who are in awe of him. How do you describe a rose in perfect bloom to a person with no sight. How do, how do you describe the worship like we just had to a person who has no hearing? How do you describe water skiing to a someone who cannot walk? How do you describe the impeccable, infinite love of the divine to a fallible, infinite human? And the fact is, you don't until we feel the love that he offers us freely. One of the most vivid characteristics of God is that he's a God of love. Remember what the psalmist said just a moment ago? Compassionate, merciful, filled with unfailing love, and unfailing love toward those who are in awe of him as a great God. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate. And, and, and the love of the Lord, listen, remains forever. This is a love that is not conditional upon your mood, whether you agree with him, this is not based on how good you act or trying to have some type of moral character change in your life and saying, I'm going to get my act together, therefore God will bless me. This is a love that says, I will take you as you are and I will love you as you are, but I will not love you so little as to leave you where you are, that I have so much more for you that I want you to follow me and you might be the recipient of every good blessing that I have. 
We find this in the definition of God's love. In 1 John chapter 4, the text says, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. I love that. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. You see, to say that God is love is not to imply that love is God. There's a difference. It's like me saying, uh, my dog is a girl, and my girl is a dog. Can you see how that could be complicated? You see, what God is trying to pour out for us is that the definition and the description of God is the other word for love. That you, you never experience genuine, meaningful love apart from a relationship with a God with unfailing love, and you never, ever, ever can do something that would cause him to want to take that love back. Like when you break God's heart, is he moved? Yes. Is he sorrowful? Absolutely. Like any dad. If you are the parent of any children eight years of age or older, would you raise your hand and keep them up for a minute? Keep them up for a minute. Okay. If your child has ever broken your heart, remain with your hands in the air. Bingo. Yeah. Imagine how your creator, your father, who has plans for you, plans for you to prosper, who has given you this roadmap to give you direction and purpose and meaning in your life, and when we choose to run the other way, how his heart is broken. I look at that and I think I'm nowhere near the father that he, he is and wants to be in my life, and even my feelings were broken. We find in this definition that God is love means that God wants the very best for you. I believe one of the great sins in American church life is that many of us have, have sought after this wonderful meaning in worship or in a church or in a religion or in a denomination. And, and, or maybe we've put it in the faith of some author or some teacher or some preacher. And we have forgotten that what comes with love is the supernatural, extraordinary care that only God can pour out on us. And we're willing to settle for having none of that so that we might please the people around us. And yet in the midst, God is saying, you have come into a place like this so that you might know that I am love. And in my being love, I want to work that love through your life. That you might not just be the recipient of it, but you might be the conduit of it. And so when we see this, we can see the definition. We can see the description. We get to understand that we are on the receiving side of God's love. In today's text, the psalmist uncovers all the different phases of life that God's love has touched. In turn, we have benefited from his love. You see, we're on that receiving end. We are the people that God has chosen to redeem. Now watch this. God has also and equally chosen to pour his love out on people that don't look like you, talk like you, believe like you, dress like you, worship like you, or live like you. But God put no limit on his love, and we are not a greater recipient of his love because we are in this church. He loves your neighbor that's cutting the grass right now as much as he does you. 
And over and over and over, Jesus begins to explain that this is why it's an unfailing love. This is why when Jesus teaches the parable of the laborers in the field, the guys who got hired at eight were griping and complaining because the guys who got hired at, five, at four got paid the same amount of money at five. And you see, aren't you glad that you're the recipient of his love so you don't have to be the receiver of his wrath? You see, the Lord God comes to us, and in verses 3 and 12, he shows us that he loves us spiritually. Spiritually, God's love removes the chasm separating us and God. And it's pretty clear. What we have in this chasm is that here we are, a people that God loves, a people that God has created, and yet we make choices day after day, minute after minute, that are sinful, these choices that we know are not the way of God. And although his heart is broken, he cannot let sinful people be in the presence of a sinless God. And the only way to bridge his chasm is he sent his only son, a part of him, to be born of a virgin that he might give his life and shed his blood on a cross and be buried in a borrowed tomb only to raise three days later and to create a home in heaven for all those who would receive freely his love. And you look at that and say, okay, I get it. He loves us spiritually, but watch, it gets better. He loves us emotionally. Some of us are more emotional people than others. Some of you guys, some of you ladies, man, you're, you're just like rock steady, man. You never change. You're just kind of who you are. I'd give anything to be one of y'all. But I'm telling you, man, I, I am an emotional being. I, when something is awesome, man, I can cry listening to take me out of the ball game at the seventh inning stretch. But I look at all that and I think to myself, I'm so glad that he loves us emotionally. Has it ever occurred to you that much of the physical challenges that we face in life are because of the emotions that we have let go of in sinful attitudes? That oftentimes what's happened is we've created our own mess, often in our mind, with our brain trying to rush to closure and God trying to say, I want you to wait on me. I'll lift you up like you're on wings of eagles. And yet our brain is trying to say, no, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Lord, I'm done. This is the way it is. It's my lot in life. I'm, it's never going to be good for me again. And God's love brings healing to our emotional life. He loves us eternally. And watch this. He loves us as if we were royalty. I mean, the Lord God says in verse 4, he redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. Now watch this. I've said this before, but if God is the creator and sustainer of all life, if he sent his son that we might have life with him for eternity, if the son left the spirit that he might live within us and guide us day by day, that he might correct us, encourage us, drive us, teach us, then God's love indeed rescues us from a messed up world. And I don't know about you, I do not know the degree of your messed up world, but I can promise you everybody in this room would say, I am either in a mess, about to go in a mess, or I have just come out of a mess because this is a messed up world. When do we desperately need the love of the divine when this world is a messed up place? When is this world not a messed up place? Only when the divine sent his son to redeem us and carry us back that we might live in eternity and 
between now and then, it's going to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, and we're going to live in a messed up world. What do we need most to get out of a mess? We need love. The old song was right. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, but we need it when we understand that God is love. Can you substitute everything you say you love with the term God? What about when you get angry and you use his name in vain? Or, or what about when you reply in a text and it's like, oh, my God. You see, talk about those little things. The Lord knows my heart. I know that. I, I really do. I'm not here to cast anything down on you. I'm just saying I want to encourage you to recognize that he is not the man upstairs. He is a holy God who created heaven and earth and created you with a purpose and a direction in your life that you might succeed wildly. I believe he's earned our ability to say, I love you too. He has more than earned us being able to say, I want to surrender my life to you because I've been on the receiving side, that you love me spiritually, you love me emotionally, you love me as if I were royalty. You brought me into your house. You made me your child. You made me an equal heir. I have become a child of God. I am an image bearer of a holy and a righteous God. I am joint heirs with Jesus the Son, and I am a living, breathing image of the Lord God, and his spirit lives within me. And when we do, we are to be a conduit of God's love, not a stopper. God's love, while it may be personal for you, God's love is also physical. He loves us physically. Like a good daddy, he desires to give us good gifts of strength and endurance. Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. Jesus came to enjoy life, and he wants his kids to do the same. I refuse to ever lead a church who comes together so that we can be sour power in any community. But we might come together and say, the Lord Jesus came and gave his life that we might go out there and kill it. Because I can't imagine settling for mediocrity for a God who gave us everything he's got. I can't imagine letting a kid go hungry when he's given us everything we need. I can't imagine letting a kid not know how to read when he's given us every good thing. I cannot imagine not welcoming people in here who look different, think different, act different, because if anybody needs to know that this is a place that God is loved, surely it's in this room. I love the fact that he loves us with great justice. What a big deal this is. The difference between divine love and what so often passes for love among people. Often, love is expressed as that virtue that accepts everything. But God's love always makes judgment calls. This is why he is the one true judge. This is why I can't play his role of being judge. This is why you haven't been called to play the role of judge. He is the judge. He alone will judge. But watch this. I also want you to know that God's love touches everything. Everything. God's love touches every part of our life. Nothing. No circumstance, no anxiety, nor, no pain, no status escapes the love of God. God's love sinks into every fabric of our being. I recall when our oldest daughter, she's 28 now with three children of her own and about to move with her family to Amsterdam. I'm trying to decide whether I'm happy for her or if I'm going to kill her husband. In love. 
But I remember she was just a toddler, and we were at the Volusia Mall in Daytona Beach. And on the J.C. Penney end of that mall is a place where kids can romp and play. And they had those big cardboard blocks. You ever play with the big cardboard blocks? I mean, they were awesome when I was a kid because you could stand them up and you could run through those bad boys. And it was like, man, this is killer, you know. And so Amy was behind those, and she looked around, and she couldn't see us. And she started wailing. I mean, people thought I was a child abuser at the end of the mall at JCPenney. You are beating your child. She's screaming so bad. <clears throat> She's screaming for one reason. She cannot see us. And when I walked around the corner, I put my arms like this, and she lifted her arms like this, and I picked her up. It was like those big crocodile tears stopped, and she held me as tight as she could. And when we have somebody who loves us so much that they're holding us, it doesn't matter anymore what everyone else or what the circumstances are or what the future holds. Because when you're in the arms of a loving God, you share in his benefits and all of life is okay. Can I just say to you, if my little girl can feel, feel that good with my ability to just pick her up, I am so grateful at the age of 57, I can do like this to a heavenly father. And he picks me up and holds me even tighter. And that grace and that mercy flows. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church that that mercy and that grace flowed so freely that you couldn't help but share it? You couldn't help but pass it along? Everything, it touches everything. And then maybe my favorite attribute about God's love is that it is personal. Scripture cuts like a knife through all the abstracts. It, it cuts through all, like a knife through warm butter at, like for all the intellectual capacity of humankind. When it declares that God in his person is a personal being. God is capable not only of love, but God is capable and, the, and he has the desire to receive love. I love it when my kids say, Daddy, I love you. Because it's more than just what you say when you go out the door. It's the thing that it, it retains and sustains you when they're gone. We sent our youngest two back to college yesterday. Hallelujah. And, and while there was a, a tiny, minute part of me that was saddened by that, there was a big part of Jenny that was. Because it's been her life for all these years. And in my life, I'm thinking, I don't have to search for the remote ever again. Or at least until they come back for Labor Day. But it's personal. God is capable of loving and being loved, and he wants that back. I think about this. When God says, I love you, he's saying that you matter to him. When we talk about a love that is sustainable beyond all eternity, he is saying to you from the time that you were born before you were born, because he knew you before you were born, through the time that you live in infinity with him in heaven, the Lord is saying to you, you matter to me personally. Isn't that great? This is why when we look at denominations, we have to scratch our head and think, why did we put labels on everything? Because if you go from that wall to that wall, you've got all kind of diversity in this room. And watch this. He loves you equally. And you say, well, now that lady, man, she does so much at church. He doesn't love her anymore. She might be the recipient of a few more blessings, but he doesn't love her anymore. And you say, well, Chuck, let me tell you about my neighbor. My neighbor... He gets drunk every Saturday night. Did you know 
that when he gets drunk, he screams and hollers and we can hear him. You know, it might be better if that guy just wasn't there. Watch this. Did you know that he is one prayer away from being your neighbor for eternity? You look at that and say, God's love is personal. Regardless of what others think, in your eye, in his eyes, you are wonderful. God knows that we're sinners, yet he forgives us. He knows we're diseased, but he heals us. He knows that we're in a pit, but he pulls us out. We are ungrateful for his gifts, but he keeps giving them anyway. And we deserve justice, and yet he gives us mercy. How would we, how would we not shower back love and adoration on a God who over and over and over and over, who's ripped a part of himself away and given us to us? The opportunity to say, you can always come to me. I will always forgive you. I will always welcome you. I look at this, and for the naysayers who want me to be one of those flamethrowers that tells you, you know, like three points and you're going to hell, listen to me. I believe without Christ you will. But the greatest message of that is not that you can choose that. The greatest, the greatest message in that is that God loves you, period. That he loves you and has called you to be his child, period. That he says, I know you've totally screwed up your life. I love you, period. That you do not have to get your junk together to come to me. I will take you as you are, period. I love that message. God is love. I mean, come on, man. The great C.S. Lewis once said, on the whole, God's love for us is a much safer subject than to think about our love for him. My friend, there are some of you in here that you're enjoying wallowing in your misery. I want to lovingly kick you in the hind end and say you don't have to. There are some of you in this room and Man, the money's run out and the job's run out and you're wondering where God is. He loves you. We spend so much time in the American church trying to pray away the difficulties in our life when it could be that the Lord God loves us so much that this is where he meets us to do his greatest work. And he may today want to pour his love on you no matter where you're at. Let's pray. Father God, you, you overwhelm us with your love. You pour grace and mercy upon us when we do not deserve it. You love us personally. You love us unconditionally. So Lord, if the heart of someone today would say, Lord, I want that love. Would you let them make this prayer their prayer? God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And while I may not understand it all, how he rose for me, and he's gone to heaven to create a home for me, if I'll just ask you to forgive me of my sins, turn my life around and give it into his hands. Lord, thank you for doing that for me. If today you want to be the recipient of God's love and you'd say, man, I agree with that prayer, Chuck, that's what I want for my life. 
Nobody's looking around. Just kind of ease your hand up so I can see who you are. Yeah. 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 Amen. Father God, you love us. And there's really no other word to put behind that. Just that you love us. And I, I am so grateful. God, there are times I am so unlovely. Most of my life I've spent not being in a position that you would think anybody would love you. And yet, Lord, you've always been there. and You've never stopped loving. God, pour your love on these folks today, for the folks watching online today. God, thank you that a guy like Perry stood up and said, man, I, I'm all man, but I mean, I need all of God. Lord, for the dozen or so folks in this room that said, man, count me in that prayer. Lord, give them the courage to follow you and simply do what Jesus told us to do. Let them fall in line with what the Lord did, what Perry did, and what you're calling them to do. Lord, let us be a church that is a conduit of love, not a stopper. Lord, don't let our, don't let our rituals, don't, don't let our rites, Lord, don't, don't let our orthodoxies or our preferences keep us from shining forth your love in our life. God, forgive us for when we've presented you poorly. Call out of us your grace and your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.